Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer, and we thank you for joining us. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and no, 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 just kidding. Um, You might have noticed that I was doing both voices, and that's because (laughs) Natalie isn't here. She's enjoying some well-deserved holiday. No, she has not been suspended, Allison. That's what you heard? Because she was sharing her views on Brexit? No, it's not that. Don't worry, you'll just have to put up with me. But that's okay, because I have reinforcements in the shape of James Gearbrandt and, of course, Allison Rod. And in addition, down the line from the Great Northwest, from from Ormskirk, is that right, Joycey? Originally, yeah. It's Paul Joyce. And Ormskirk, as I discovered, is near Southport, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to Ormskirk Grammar, Paul. You did? I did, yeah. I did. (laughs) You guys went to the same school? It was, oh, wasn't called, was it called Ormskirk Grammar when you went? Yeah, but it wasn't a grammar school, no. was it? No, just a normal school. Who was the this head teacher? A, a conversation <laughs> off air, I think. Yes, let's have a conversation off no, air. I want to know, who, uh, who was the school head? Oh, I can't remember. I, uh, some, some, I don't know, film with an H. Mr. Hesseltine. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Hesseltine. Really? We were probably in the same class and just didn't get on. That's what it was. Wow, that's a, it's such a small world, isn't it? We need to move on to, to football. Later on, we'll be discussing the situation at Cardiff, and we'll be looking ahead to Liverpool and Spurs. So we would have been starting with Liverpool and Spurs, because, of course, massive game in the uh, Premier League. But there's even bigger news, because at the Theatre of Dreams, there's a new sheriff in town who's actually the same as the old sheriff. United have confirmed the appointment of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He gets a three-year contract, presumably a three-year contract starting in June. He's had a tremendous start to his tenure, winning 14 of his first 19 matches in charge. He's got them into the last eight in the Champions League. They were about 47 points out of the top four, and now they're right there or thereabouts. Alison, you agree with this appointment. It's an absolute no-brainer, right? Well, I thought it was a no-brainer from day one. I was the only person... I was the only person asked when he was made caretaker, should he get the job full time? I was the only person that said yes. Everyone else went down the path of, yes, short term maybe, but long term. A club of Man United stature really have to attract a manager like Maurizio Pochettino. Think big, think long term. Utter nonsense, just platitudes. They found the right guy from day one. And whilst, yes, I'm surprised by the results, and United would be top of the league if the league had started the day he was appointed at Old Trafford, which is overlooked a bit. It is stunning form in, in a season where the league is, is very competitive and tense and standards are high. So I think it's an excellent appointment and I have no doubt that Ole Gunnar being the manager of Manchester United, will not prevent big names coming to the club. And if anything, he'll probably help keep big names there. Joycey, if you were Ed Woodward, if you had Manchester United's best interests at heart, 
and a gaggle of glazers came to you and said, all right, Ed, we need to decide, do we want to give this guy the job on a permanent basis? What would you have told them? He'd been pushed into a corner a little bit by the momentum that he's gained, but I still think that there's an awful lot for Solskjaer or an awful lot that Manchester United still have to do. And I think there's still a lot of unknowns about Solskjaer, really. I think we're seeing a little bit of player power. You know, stories out that Edward Woods consulted the the players over the appointments and what they wanted. I think he's done very well in reinvigorating the club, but I just, I don't know, I've just got doubts as to whether it'll work long-term. I think United have got sort of fundamental problems. I mean, what, what what's happening with the director of football that they were planning on, on introducing? There's issues with De Gea's contract. They've got to get Marcus Rashford tied down. I think there's a lot of work still needs to be done. And it goes beyond Solskjaer, I think. He's obviously given the, the, the club a lift and re-energised them, but I think there's a lot of work ahead to get back to where Manchester United think they deserve to be. In an absolute nutshell, in terms of expected goals and underlying numbers, whatever, he has got Manchester United performing much better than they were under Jose Mourinho, but maybe not as well as their results are suggesting. So their kind of actual performance levels maybe lie a little kind of in between the two. I fundamentally agree with the appointment, I think. But I slightly agree with what Paul said in that they've been slightly backed into a corner. I kind of agree with the appointment. They're almost in a position where I think it would have been really hard for them to make any other decision. I think particularly not only because the form has been so good and there's obviously such kind of popular momentum behind him, but I think in particular the level of performance that he seems to have unlocked from Paul Pogba and Marcus Rashford who are arguably United's two most important players moving forward who have both been you know somewhat mercurial in their Premier League careers at least so far and are now playing with you know a consistency that they probably haven't really in their Premier League careers I think it would have been really difficult to, and obviously they've both spoken publicly about how you know how great Solskjaer is and how well they've responded to him. So I think it would have been really difficult for them to make another decision and potentially, you know, jeopardise that. I've heard people make the arguments that Paul makes, which are perfectly reasonable arguments, that he doesn't have the squad building experience. You know, his last Premier League job ended in disaster. Is he any good in the transfer market? We don't really know, but. I think you sort of have to slightly come back to, you know, what do you have a manager of a football club for? You know, ultimately, you have one to make sure the team plays its best. The other question is, why now? Solskjaer came in in December. It's now March, Mm. end of March. So we're, we're looking at about four months. You'd have a better idea of this at the end of the season. There may be pros and cons. Why make the appointment now? Would you not feel safer in saying he's the right man. I mean, Alison had no doubts. She was a socialista from before. You would have given him a permanent job back then. Thank you. Um, Because that, that to me, is the biggest question mark that I don't understand. If Let's rewind the tape a little bit to when Mourinho left, even before when Mourinho's there. Wasn't the whole thing that they were going to restructure and get sort of a director of football type figure? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And they haven't done that. So if you had that in place... If you had appointed somebody, either ideally with Mourinho, well, they've not there. announced that yet. But if they had one, you wouldn't have this yeah. need to go and 
confirm Solskjaer's appointment. Like, that's the part which, to me, doesn't make any sense. One of the things that United have been absolutely hammered for, and poor Mr. Woodward's taken a lot of stick for, from the moment Sir Alex left, has been the club's recruitment policy, right? The the players they signed and, and so on. Has anybody seen any signs that that's been, that that's been addressed? And, well, you pointed out, James, and, and you too, Joyce, that Solskjaer's experience in terms of squad building, it's not a great track record. And on top of that, his agent, and you can go Google him, and I have to bring this up because this is a bit of an extreme case, is a guy named Jim Solbakken. So put all these things together and... Surely that seems odd, right? No, I think, honestly, honestly, I'm not being contrary. I think it's sensible. If you're Man United, and as you point out, Gab, they've had a lot a lot said about how rubbish they've been at just being a business and wasting their money and not being very good in the transfer market and overpaying for players and not buying the right ones. And their succession planning has been weak. You found a manager who is, as, in many ways, as close to... Ferguson as they're going to get in that they can think long term about him. Isn't so, 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 I'm sorry, Alison, you have to clarify this. Well, he's you not just suffering. say Solskjaer is as close to Sir Alex Ferguson as they're going to because get? Because he's modelled himself on Sir Alex Ferguson right, and he's I'm not sorry, scared I'm of Ferguson's sorry. shadow okay, at the club. Listen, I, I, I've had the opportunity to spend some time with Sir Alex Ferguson. Sir Alex Ferguson arrived at Manchester United having made history at Aberdeen. Not Real Madrid, Aberdeen as a manager. He may have had his faults and his foibles, but I don't understand how anybody can even begin to suggest that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is as close to Sir Alex Ferguson as you're going to get. You are going to get if you try and repeat history in how? terms of building a dynasty. Because Solskjaer because he played has, for Sir Alex Ferguson? Because he adores the man, takes right. all his managerial principles from the man, is not inhibited by the man still being there, and he's at every blooming game. Comparisons with him do not phase him. He has the full support of Sir Alex Ferguson without it being in any way a distraction or belittling him or paling by comparison. People I've interviewed about who is the real Oligolisovskar, on telly, he's all smiling and lovely. Behind the scenes, he can do a hairdryer if he wants to. He tries to be as close to Ferguson as it's possible to get. So why on earth, if you're Manchester United, would you not embrace that? The fans adore him. Adore him more than they did when Ferguson arrived, who looked a bit, a bit of a weakling when he first arrived. But he stuck at it, and I get the sense with Solskjaer that he would stick at it. He would put club before personal ambition or being tempted away or being phased by a rough patch. I think in terms of personality, he's fine. And then, because of his demeanour, if you're somebody well qualified to be the director of football or director of football operations at Old Trafford, who would not want to work with someone like Solskjaer, who's relatively inexperienced, relatively young, I mean, he's not as young as he looked, but he's he's open-minded, he's not afraid to say what he doesn't know. If you're a good director of football, you want someone who's open. You don't want to come in as a director of football and be constantly fighting with a manager who thinks he knows it all and has a massive ego, like Mourinho. You're more likely to work with someone who's amenable to it. Why have they appointed Solskjaer now? They've appointed him now because he's said all the right things about the problems they need to solve, that he will be amenable to a new structure at the club that is more productive. What makes me slightly uneasy there, Alison, is all those things you said about Solskjaer, many of them, other than the fact that he didn't play for the club, could have been said about David Moyes as well. That's 
the only thing that, you know, David Moyes isn't afraid to say what he doesn't know. David Moyes is humble. David Moyes was handpicked by Sir Alex. David Moyes ticked so many of those same Solskjaer boxes. That's that's the one thing. And then for 101 different reasons, things went wrong. Maybe some of them to do with... Because he was obsessed with Ferguson and trying to do things right. differently and be his own man. Solskjaer doesn't have that, that okay. chip on his shoulder. I might suggest that there's another factor in this too, is that appointing him from, from Woodward's perspective and the fan sentiment and the player sentiment, this is a slam dunk for Woodward. If he appoints Pochettino, he then has to answer to the fans and to the Glazers, okay, I spent an enormous amount of money to get a huge manager, just like the manager before him was a huge, expensive manager, just like the manager before him was a huge, expensive manager. And if it doesn't work out, at that point, you might have a situation where the Glazers say, you know what, Ed, we love the fact that you generate commercial revenue, but maybe from now on you stay away from the football side because it's three in a row that you screwed up. Pony Solskjaer, you're appointing the consensus choice. You know, it's it's like it's like voting for Sunday roast. Who doesn't like that? You know, you're getting what everybody seems to want. And on top of that, you're getting a guy who is far more pliable than certainly the, 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 than Funhao and Mourinho. I you know, I know Solskjaer might have a rough edge, but I can't imagine Solskjaer marching into Woodward's office and say, like, all of a sudden like, I don't like Matic anymore. We need to spend two hundred million and, and go and get Conte or whatever. It's not gonna happen. Whereas I think we can in all that case, in that case what what he needs to demonstrate that he's not demonstrated in the past is is a willingness to ride out any bumps in the road that might come. Otherwise you get Kenny Dalgleish, exactly. FSG. He comes in interim after Roy Hodgson around the same time of year, impresses in the second half of the season, three-year contract, fans wanted it, everybody thought it was the way forward, returning hero, and then in a year, he won still Liverpool's last trophy winner, and he got to the final of the FA Cup that season, but then he's sacked by the club because we don't see it as the, the long-term, you know, the ripping up a contract within within 12 months. So I think the flip side of all this is that Ed Woodward has to show the leadership to withstand the bumps that will inevitably come because, you know, United are 18 points behind Liverpool at the moment. You know, we're talking about a club that needs to change the way it's worked since Sir Alex Ferguson went, not just a managerial appointment. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. I'm about to read the trivia teaser, but I do have to make an announcement because I get lots of feedback on social media from this. People are concerned about Natalie's absence, of course, in our predictions league, where right now I am behind 15 to 10 so by executive decree obviously natalie's absence means she forfeits the weeks she's not here and not making (laughs) predictions so after this weekend come what may it will be 15 11 to natalie and actually we should probably count last monday either when natalie wasn't here uh because i was here so it's 15 11 right now and it's going to be 15 12 i think that's pretty much signed off by the company Anyway, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Chief Statistical Officer, Bill Edgar, provides 11 trivia teasers for you. Here's one for you on this podcast. Now, as I read this, I need to point out that Allison is furiously Googling away, and Gear Brent is trying to read ahead to the end to see if the answer is there. Well, obviously, the answer is not there, Gear Brent. Which striker has made 55 Premier League appearances in the past three seasons, but has only once 
completed 90 minutes. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answers. Do you guys want to throw out any ideas? I mean, I have, I, 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 I have ideas, but I don't think any of them are right. I was going to say, like, Danny Ings, maybe. 55 Premier League appearances is a lot, no? no? Yeah. Didn't he miss, like, basically a whole year through injury? Yeah, that's What true. do you mean by past three seasons? Are you including this season? Well, first of all, that's a question for, for Bill, not me. But, yes, I would assume it means oh, this I season, last nice. season, and the year before. You're talking about an average of about... You're a guy who gets on the pitch every other game, but almost always... Olivier Giroud in that case. I was thinking about someone someone like someone like Isaac Success or someone Sorry? Someone like Isaac Success, maybe? Someone sort of slightly no. But also I refer to you that this is somebody completing ninety minutes. You might have started these games, but how often did he actually stay on the pitch? Did he have to stay on the pitch all ninety minutes? We're gonna to have to wait till the end of the podcast. I'm sure listeners at home, there are as many of you who've already sussed this out, because it's pretty obvious. While we have Joycey, we need to move on to the big match this weekend, which is Spurs traveling to uh, to Anfield, two of the top three. But we have the situation now where, and it's going to be the case for the season, where you know Liverpool are ahead of City, and so every time that they play after City, as is the case this weekend, there's going to be this additional pressure on them. Joycey, I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that there's a very strong chance that City are going to beat Fulham on Saturday. Can't imagine why, just a feeling I have. Uh, so then Liverpool go out there with all the pressure on the world on them. Can you talk a little bit about how they're experiencing this this title race, whether they actually maybe feel a little bit like like underdogs maybe? Because still, I think majority of people expect City to win the Premier League. Yeah, I think there's a there's an element of, of probably the more comfortable as being the underdogs. I think they've coped really well with the pressure so far. I mean, if you look back at the the last week before the international break, Burnley at home, a poor refereeing decision goes against them for Burnley's opening goal when Allison has fouled. They recover from that and get the win. Then go to Bayern Munich, go one up, then the own goal. And for a period, Bayern look the better side, re-establish themselves in the ascendancy and, and get that good win. Then obviously the Fulham game should have had it out of sight and then peg back and then, then they go again so I think there's a resilience that they've shown in recent weeks they've been playing with the pressure for quite a while now although I accept that these final seven games it gets amplified now the, the pressure and the expectation one of the key things is they've got a lot of players coming back to to fitness now um, Gomez Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back. The squad's arguably in as good a position as at any point in the season now. You've got Lallana coming back into the fold and having impressed in recent games. Um, Shaqiri and Cater aren't really playing at the moment. So he's got options there. And I just think they're in a position where they can really give it a good go now. Everybody will say that Manchester City, are with the depth in their squad, are are the favourites, but I just feel that City's schedule is so harsh, really, between now and, and, and the end of the season with all, all the competitions that they're, they're juggling as well and, and fixtures that, that they need to fit in because of the FA Cup run. It just seems like there's an opportunity there for Liverpool to, to end this weight, and I think there's a, a belief 
that they deserve to have for having lost just one game all season. Goalless draw, Craven Cottage is 28-1 to with the bookies. And a 1-0 win for Fulham against his city is 40 to 1. Miracle Man no longer manages Fulham. And I've got this weird feeling. I've got this weird feeling. I've got this weird feeling that should Fulham take two points off City, they wouldn't do Liverpool any good at all. And I just wonder if Paul gets what I mean by that. It's as if they need it to be completely tight and to have those flames on the back of their necks, Liverpool, to maintain this form they've got and this resilience which is it does sum it up well the resilience they've shown recently I just have this horrible feeling that if if something strange happened at Craven Cottage and City dropped points then it would it would create a wobble at Anfield I think one big thing Paul you, you had a, 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 an excellent piece I thought about Mo Salah who I find fascinating because those of us who were big Salah fans. I'm going to be like those guys who were like, ooh, I was listening to the Happy Mondays back when they were only performing in their garage and nowhere else. Um, <laughs> I, I watched Mo Salah. I remember playing him playing for, for, for Basel, and I thought, whoa, like this guy, man. And then, you know, I saw the ups and downs, saw the bumps and bruises. So when he went to Italy, I saw what he did. Like most people, I never expected him to score 74 goals like he did last season for, for, for Liverpool. I expected some regression. Fact is, one goal in 10 games, I don't know how to feel about it because I think feel like he's still getting in dangerous positions. You know, you worry when strikers don't get in dangerous positions. He's got one goal in his last 10 games, though. That's what the numbers say. But, Joycey, he didn't go on break with Egypt. Does he look good to you? Do, do, do you think he can, he can be the, the value added between now and the end of the season? Yeah, I think certainly, you know... Liverpool will be open. He, he's still the player who can make the difference for him. I think the the breaks come at. I don't know quite know how Liverpool swung that with Egypt, but I think they'll they'll certainly get the benefits from it from him not going away. I mean, I agree. I don't think he's been playing terribly. Um, he's just been snatching at a couple of chances, and you know we do judge him against what he did last season. Um, I thought of Fulham he was a little bit. Seem preoccupied with scoring to maybe the detriment of the team, but I suppose that's human nature as well. He just needs that break in front of goal, and I think he's got it within him to sort of, you know, take off between now and the end of the end of the season again. I mean, I spoke to be in Russia about it yesterday, and he, he said that because of what he did last season, a lot of teams are doubling up on him. There's some stats out that he, he's been tackled more this season than than in the whole of last season, which would seems to support that argument and maybe one of the beneficiaries of that has been has been Mane so he's got 11 goals in 11 games so but I think that's another reason that Liverpool will feel manoeuvred themselves into a into a great position Klopp called it a wonderful base yesterday and that's with Salah having scored one in 10 games I mean that 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 sequence is going to break at some point whether it's against Tottenham at, at the weekend. You know, we'll have to wait and see. But even if Liverpool don't... You're, you're allowed to, like, draw against Tottenham. I mean, Tottenham are a good side. So I think there's still going to be twists and turns beyond this game, really. So um, James, we heard what Joyce said there about, yeah. about Salah. Um, I think you made a good point. Salah's scoring less, Mane's scoring more. Do we get a little bit too fixated, especially... When you're on a side like Liverpool, where you know the, the front three really are such a, a cohesive unit, mm. on which one of those front three is actually scoring? As long as the 
aggregate output doesn't go down tremendously, is it really a big deal whether Salah scores or, or whether some other bloke scores? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Joyce, you mentioned the word resilience. And I think one thing that's really, really interesting about this Liverpool team is kind of how many different ways that they find to be effective or successful. I mean, when you look at this team, which is having, you know, in terms of the points total that they're on track for and all that, it's having a really, it's having a really good season, albeit they're still in the title race. This team is, I think, so different to the incarnation of Liverpool last season in that, you know, obviously they're kind of much more solid defensively. I think we've spoken on previous podcasts about how they're a little bit different in the way they attack and that maybe they're not creating so much through that kind of furious pressing anymore. And obviously, in terms of the way the load is being shared around, in terms of the goals that they're scoring at the moment, the balance has really shifted from last season because obviously last season Salah was scoring an absolute hatful of goals at this stage and this season he's not, but Mane has kind of taken up some of that slack. So it's a little bit like, you know, the Hydra, you chop one head off and, and um, Mane, you know, keeps scoring. We should talk a tiny bit about Spurs as well. Alison, the weird thing to me is that if Spurs finished fourth this year, given where they were and given how they kept winning and performing when all those guys were injured, people are going to see this as a failure. Some people are going to go and attack Pochettino and be like, oh, look, he has, he's not improving them. He's not taking the team forward, blah, blah, blah. And that's not going to be fair, is it? Spurs have had and are having a tremendous season, a lot fewer resources than everybody else, with the added distraction of Ericsson's contract, Alderweireld's contract, for a period at least, Pochettino's future. We should respect Spurs a little more than some of us do. I you? think they get a lot of respect, actually. An adequate amount? Given they don't win anything, yes, probably. They do get as much respect. I think they probably get slightly more than they deserve, to be honest. I mean, it's a, very, it's a really weird soap opera, the whole Spurs thing, to be perfectly honest. You alluded earlier to how tough a negotiator Levy is and seems to have, in some respects, Pochettino wrapped around his little finger. Pochettino somehow seems to have established that he's only ever going to go to Manchester United or Real Madrid and both those clubs seem to be conspiring to make sure they never, ever end up offering him the job and things never fall into place at what might be considered timely for Pochettino. There will come a point where nobody really wants Pochettino that's huge because he's not proving that he can win something. And if he carries on only nurturing what the club already have in-house he won't be able to prove that he's somebody that can attract superstars and can manage established players that have already won things which is what the club needs they need to accept there is a problem there that they don't quite know what to do to get over the line and often all that is is a bit more competition for places or bringing in players who have won stuff and have that thing in them that means they I never quite know how that works, where you, you can hold a trophy for one team, leave, and then really want to hold a trophy for another team, and it means and you kiss the badge and all that. But there are players that do that, and you need to bring them in and teach the younger players that sort of win-at-all-costs mentality. And the distraction at the moment at Spurs is the new stadium. It's all anyone's talking about, uh, how much it's going to cost to get a ticket off, you know, one of those marketplaces that are virtually illegal where they run. The rest of the season is going to be, isn't it, shiny and gorgeous at, at the, the new White Hart Lane? And it may or may not help Spurs. I suspect it will do both. They will have games where they think, wow, this atmosphere is astonishing. And they lift their game and there'll be matches where the opposition feed off it better than they do. But it ultimately distracts from the fact they will finish fourth or fifth. And it will be yet another season where everyone likes Spurs players. They like their approach to football. But it's same old, same old. 
All right, let's do a quick straw poll to say goodbye to Joycey. Uh, I'm going to start with Gearbrandt. Percentage chance that Spurs finish top four? 50. Allison? 42. Joycey? 65. Ooh, you're bullish. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Cardiff hosts Chelsea and Wales on Sunday. That's right. It's the Bluebirds versus the Blues, although I think we all remember that happy time when Vincent Tan bought the club and while wearing his gloves decided that he was going to uh, going to have him play in red because that makes teams better. I just want to say something seriously about, about Cardiff, though. They're two points from safety. They have a game in hand um, on Burnley. I think most people at the start of the season had them going down. Sold Bamba's out, which obviously is a big loss for them. I know Neil Warnock is the butt of many jokes, but this is pretty remarkable that they're still... Oh, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are playing, uh, I'll admit it, they're playing better football than I thought they were capable of this season. I don't know. I've not, I've not given that many players eight and over, but I've given Callum Patterson an eight. I've seen that player play centre-forward, midfield, full-back, and he's played really well in each position. There is something about that us-against-them mentality that has made average players really pull it out the bag on match day at Cardiff. They're very well organised, and I think they stand a reasonable chance of scraping through and staying in the Premier League. James, Chelsea are in sixth place. They're three points off the top four after taking a point from games against Wolves and Everton. I need you to tell me 
whether you think they'll be playing Champions League football and whether perhaps the Europa League is the best route to get there. If I had to absolutely um, go one way or the other, I would say no. I don't think they'll be in the Champions League next year. But, I th- but if they are, but if they are, Europa League or I think the Europa League? League probably at this stage probably presents a better chance. Really? I think so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It is hard because obviously they're not they're not that far off the top four in, in points terms. Three points is not it's not that much. But they're competing against, you know, some Spurs who, you know I mean bought the cheap Spursy gag. They're competing against Solskjaer who, you know, once he gets his now that he's been appointed, he's gonna get lazy and spend all his time in the sauna and stuff and well, I mean and they're gonna nosedive and regress to the mean. And the other one is Emery in his squeaky Donald Duck voice. So let's let's look at the Europa League. I think they probably have a better chance of winning the Europa League than than you might think. I mean They have Slavia Prague. They have a significant chance of winning the Europa League, I think. I think they've, they've got I think they've won it, James. They've got Slavia Prague in the in the next ra- in the quarterfinals mm-hmm. and then semi-final against either Benfica or Eintracht Frankfurt like we were Eintracht Frankfurt I don't think are particularly good I know Jovi's going on a ton of goals I don't know how they beat Inter I mean Inter were terrible that's how they beat them but no they're not they're not great but Benfica are a team and a half although I would say about Benfica is Benfica are embroiled in a pretty tight title race in Portugal so that could take something out of them and then when you get to the final you're looking most likely at probably not Villarreal given that they're not doing great this season but you're looking at Valencia, which is still they're doing they're doing fine, but it's still it's always a bit of a zoo down there, isn't it? And Arsenal, who I think the league will take a lot out of them because they are legitimately in the run for top four. Mm-hmm. And you have Napoli, who are in second place and really aren't going to win the league and aren't going to finish third. The minute Napoli were knocked out of the Champions League, it just it was so obviously going to be Chelsea v Napoli Europa League final. So, Some things just are the, the way they're going to be. The former Chelsea managers and, and former Napoli managers. And the world will implode because of all the connections. One more serious story here. The Emiliano Sala tragedy uh, has turned into a legal dispute between Cardiff and not. Um, Cardiff claimed that the deal to sign Sala was not legally binding and are refusing to make payments on the £50 million fee. Now, this is because without getting too complicated here, obviously the deal went through FIFA TMS, which is the, the clearing house that deals have to go through their international transfers. However, Cardiff say that Salah was not a registered Premier League player because the contract was rejected by the Premier League due to contravening laws on signing on fees, which basically what this means was once you sign the player, you then have to register him with the league. Cardiff are arguing that that's the point at which their contract with Nod becomes effective rather than once it goes through FIFA TMS. Our colleague, the Times chief sports reporter, Martin Ziegler, or Ziegs, as his friends call him, tweeted out, Cardiff are basically trying to use a mistake that they made in structuring the signing on fees incorrectly uh, to get out of the deal. Are they sort of scraping the bottom of the barrel here, Allison? I am appalled by this because Cardiff have benefited from the signing in inverted commas of Salah. After his death, their performance against Arsenal was incredibly impressive because they were playing for him. You had all the open grief in Cardiff City Centre. You had very, very beautifully observed tributes inside the ground. 
and they were unlucky to lose against Arsenal. Then I went to the game they played at St Mary's. I was there, so I can say categorically, Cardiff won that game because of the emotional connection between the fans who want, definitely wanted another tribute to the dead player to result in something positive. The players said afterwards we found an extra 10%. We really felt we, we had to do something to reward the club and the fans and the family of the dead player. If, if Cardiff stay up because of the points they gained from the effect of mourning then they have a moral obligation to accept that he is their player. You can't... It is, it is, it is morally reprehensible that you, your, your season takes a turn because of a tragedy and for the amount of money, that, the amount of money they would earn from staying in the Premier League and if they stay in the Premier League it would be partly because of the upturn in performances because the club came together in grief and then to say, oh, we don't actually own him at all. It's abhorrent they should not even try and get out of it. I take your point, uh, very strongly put. There are other layers of complications on here um, in the sense that I think we can probably pretty safely presume that both Nantes and Cardiff had insurance on the player. But equally, we can also safely assume that insurance companies are often loath to pay out and want full investigations. I think we all know all the question marks surrounding the private plane that he was on who arranged it, who was responsible for it, whether all the safety requirements were met. I would imagine that any way you you slice it, James, this is hurting Cardiff and Mr. Chu and Mr. Tan in terms of image. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think this is just um, a terrible look to be squabbling over the payment in relation to someone who has obviously tragically died. I don't think it's unfair to say that what Cardiff are trying to do here is they're trying to sort of avoid paying the fee on a, on a technicality. But I think essentially everyone, unless you're a particularly kind of one-eyed Cardiff fan, will feel that even if his transfer hadn't necessarily been ratified down to the dotting of the final I and the crossing of the final T... Salah was essentially a Cardiff City player at the time that he died. You know, he had signed the contract and he posed with the shirt and he'd met the fans. You know, there were some quotes in the days afterwards of, you know, fans saying that they'd met Salah at the, you know, at the occasion of the signing of his contract and spoken to them. And obviously all the, a lot of Cardiff fans spoke quite movingly in the aftermath. And indeed, pretty sure the players and Warnock said words to the effect of, you know, well, we consider him, you know, one of us and... You know, we we feel like, you know... Not in doubt, James, there was orchestrated tributes to the player. He was a Cardiff player. He was was on that plane because he he wanted to say goodbye to the players at his previous club. Morally, 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 there might be legal loopholes in anything, but morally, he was a Cardiff City player. It's a sad story, and it's, it's pretty horrendous that we have to bring up his name in these circumstances, and I hope that people take a minute... Whether it's going on YouTube or thinking about him and his family and thinking about the fact that he's no longer with us. Hi there and welcome to The Sweeper, which is of course the Times' fantasy football tip service. I'm Charlie Scott and joined by Paddy Bear. Hello. Game week 32 and it looks like a delicious one to me, Paddy. Yeah, worth the wait after that international break. Um, five extra games, which means of course half the league has 
two fixtures, plenty of free hits will be played, I'm sure. Some were played last time. Uh, they the, were. The blank game weeks. To varying degrees well, of effect. It's quite a low-scoring week, so you'll probably be regretting it if you did, and if you managed to hold off, you're Me. probably licking your lips. I think the obvious places to go are City and Chelsea first, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, City, who have we got? Fulham and Cardiff. Raheem Sterling, form of his career. Yeah. And Aguero's had a nice rest, didn't go on the international break with Argentina, so I can't imagine many free-hit teams will be without those two. Absolutely. And elsewhere in that team, who jumps out? Edison and Laporte are very safe, and they're probably going to get at least one clean sheet, maybe two, um, maybe David Silva. But I, I would think about having one defensive player um, of, of, from City just to just to give you what is effectively probably a guaranteed clean sheet. Okay, okay. And elsewhere, who else is double? Do you like uh, Eden Hazard? Is an obvious one. Just mm. you've got uh, along with City the easiest double. Um, and again, then they're not brilliant at the back, but someone like Kepper in goal or maybe as Piliqueta who can pop up with the odd assist um, is pretty much guaranteed to play twice for them. That's what you want to look for really is, is players who are definitely going to play twice if at all possible you take some big hitters from those teams and then you just fill the gaps with a few others yeah. quite like the looks of guys like Delafay or Watford their yeah. double involves Fulham at home ditto a couple of the Wolves boys Diego Jota and Jimenez are pretty obvious ones just don't overcomplicate it I think absolutely yeah Delafay has looked great in his past four games I think four goals two assists what if you've not got a free hit what will you be doing uh, I will be praying <laughs> um, and I will probably make a couple of transfers to get in a couple more people with double game weeks uh, I'm really I'm thinking about chucking Salah, but I know as soon as I do that, he'll score 10. Yeah, I think a lot of people are in that boat. I think the main thing to remember is that there is a blank coming up afterwards, so don't be so short-term with your transfers. If you want to bring in Sterling and Hazard now, by all means go for it, because they could score 40 points each. But don't start shipping out players uh, who have a nice fix next week, and don't start piling your team full of players who don't have a game next week. Just be smart. Very wise advice. Don't forget, you can sign up to our weekly email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football or join our Facebook group by searching for the sweeper on Facebook and we can give you feedback on your teams or transfers you might be doing. Just pop your questions into there. We're just in time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser, which was, which striker has made 55 Premier League appearances in the past three seasons but has stayed on the pitch only once for 90 minutes. The answer, of course, is Bournemouth star Lise Mousset. It, it, it is very Eddie Howe, though, right? To, like, put this guy on, take him off, put him on, take him off. I, I don't think Eddie Howe likes him as much as he likes It's a South Coast thing. People. Happens at Brighton a lot as well. Well, that's because Glenn Murray's 45 years old. (laughs) I think he's entitled to a rest occasionally. Anyway, that's all we've got time for on the show. Many thanks to our excellent guests today, Alison Rudd, James Gearbrandt, and Paul Joyce. And as you know, we both discovered that Paul Joyce and Alison Rudd went to the very same school, Ormskirk Grammar School. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. Just one pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Monday when there are midweek Premier League games to look forward to. We have that huge Tottenham versus Crystal Palace derby, and it's going to be at the new stadium. Stadiums excite you, don't they, Alison? I'll be there. Manchester City have their game in hand at home to Cardiff and Wolves against Manchester United at Molyneux. Deja vu all over again. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Hold up. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.